Virgin Valley Artists Association welcomes you to the Art Box, recorded in our beautiful Mesquite, Nevada, and sponsored by the Virgin Valley Artists Association. Our association has something for everyone of all ages. Come and get creative with us at 15 West Mesquite Boulevard, or find us online at mesquitefineartcenter.com, or on Facebook as Mesquite Fine Art Center, also on Facebook, The Art Box. A special thanks to the Buchanan family from Yarrington, Nevada, for allowing us to use their music during our podcast. Thank you. We're going to have to wrap things up now. Let's do one more episode. We're going to speak to some volunteers who were working at Living Nations, Living Words. And then we went on a shopping spree of sorts. I don't think either one of us bought anything because everything was market price. What was the one cowboy hat? Maybe we've already talked about this. We found it was $1,700. That's right. And then the boots, I wouldn't even have wanted to guess. I, th- I heard they were over 3000 You mentioned the volunteers, Steve, and the volunteers are what make this program go, really. They have volunteers helping people find the way, volunteers organizing the whole thing. And the volunteers we met were backed by the press boxes, right? Yes. And they had specific duties. They had the document because they're, they're videotaping everything. Mm-hmm. You know, so they're, they are there to document everything by the minute, what gets said and what's up next and who said it. For the archives. Yeah, for the archives. Mm-hmm. And they were quite fun and they were nice to us. They were. Yeah. They were sitting in, in the back with us in the press row. It's going to be hard in a way to know that this is the the end that we're going to be leaving here soon it's been such a fantastic week truly and steve you're a great traveling partner you're so easy to work with and when i say i'm tired at at night and i just have to go back to the hotel and go to bed and let you do your work you're very happy to go back and do your work and let me go to bed well didn't we have was it friday night we had oh yeah we had it all set up to go starting at um, 6 p.m we were going to do a 6 p.m and 8 p.m and then attend to midnight because we wanted to see everybody dance actually linda wanted to dance herself i did i wanted to in my hat and my cowboy boots (laughs) but i think we were so dead yeah that we didn't do it next year yeah next year this is a wrap-up We'll talk about the volunteers, we'll go on a shopping spree, and then we're going to talk to our friend Larry, who had some good stories, didn't he? He sure did. Okay, so off with this episode, we'll talk to you at the end of it. Yeah, so what, what are we here for? This is um, voice. Show. I know, which oh, the show? Oh, Living Nations, Living Work. Is that what you mean? Yeah. And, and we're here with the logger, okay? And and she is um, not the normal kind of logger, like kind of cut down trees <laughs> logger, but she's a logger in a book. And Linda and I are here. What's your name? Pat Warren. Hi, Pat Warren. Steve, Linda. 
Hi, nice to meet you. Tell us what you do since you're not cutting down trees. <laughs> well, I'm the logger, and this is so that we can have an archive of the estimated crowd size. We log every artist and um, record what they our, uh, their poem or their song, and then we make additional comments about, you know, something that would be memorable and helpful to look back from the past. Oh, cool. And that'll go on, so if, if they're doing a YouTube or something like that, you'd, the comments would be on that? And we have another logger that just showed up. We're, we're a podcast, so we're, we're press. We've never been pressed before. We're a, a podcast for an art gallery in Mesquite, Nevada. So we're okay. just trying to, we want to talk to some volunteers. Okay. And you are who? I'm Meg Glazer. Um, so I'm a volunteer helping out with the logging. Okay. And um, yeah, these are really important uh, documents that we make because uh, we, we audio record everything that goes on. And you probably heard that. All this goes into the archives. And so these, they get matched up with audio recordings. So if someone's looking for a certain artist's recording, eventually this will be in the database and if we're doing our job and getting the right titles and everything correct there then it makes it a lot easier for the archivist uh, how long have you guys been volunteers great both of us are very lucky <laughs> I just retired from the Western Folklife Center, so I'm oh. just oh, uh, really? volunteering for... Uh, so they're like, Meg, if you want us to continue to pay your your your, your retirement, then you need to come volunteer. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's just for the love of it. That, uh, <laughs> I was just going to say, this is a, a job from the heart. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, so how many years have you volunteered? Well, I haven't always been available to come do this, but I um, was involved with the cowboy poetry gathering before it even started. Um, uh, we live here in Spring Creek, Nevada, and so however many long years, 38 years, I guess. 38 years, this is 38, wow, what a volunteer. I was working at the Great Basin College part of that time, so I wasn't always available to log, but... <laughs> oh, you mean this thing called a job got yes. in the way? Yeah, but you produced, uh, we worked with Pat over the years, because at the college, uh, they have, you were involved with continuing education, and so, um, so we would work with Pat to do all of our horsemanship uh, workshops out at the, what, what's it called, the... Um, well, the horse pass, the, horse. the Spring Creek horse pass, but we also did things at Maggie Creek Ranch. And that's how I got to know Bill and Sally Searle that we had the um, ranch in honor of this morning. But um, they wanted to have some things that were hands-on and for real cowboys and uh, to, you know, go along with the, all the wonderful poetry and music right. and art and... <laughs> gear and so well and there's is what well, i there's a diverse array of things a smorg a, a smorgasbord of things for people to do here we haven't been to any of the workshops yet but we noticed oh, there are a yes, lot of there's wonderful workshops work. um 
craftsmanship workshops. And they go on for quite a while before the gathering starts. If, if, you know, they've been going this way to week. Oh, really? So, really? And the ones I can't go to are the dance workshops. I'm oh. really interested in those. <laughs> yeah, they're very fun. And they do those throughout the year as well. We better get those. Yeah, we better okay. get those. Okay, the lights, okay, the lights are dimming. Megan Pat, thank you very much. Now it's time to shop. Let's go shopping. Jolyn and Jocelyn, and we are at your oh, pottery it's booth. it's it's um, Jolyn Hook <laughs> Pottery. Jolyn Hook Pottery, and you have a uh, a website? No, I don't. I choose to just have people contact me through email and Instagram, because then I can keep my prices low rather than having to pay for. Okay. Do you want to tell us what your Instagram is? And... Um. Yeah. <laughs> um, Instagram is Jolyn Hook Pottery, and Facebook is We Are the Clay Isaiah Six Six Forty Eight. Sorry. So. We'll we'll take that. We'll put that on our website. Okay. Too. Can I take one? Yep. And it has my email address too. Okay. That's how I like to have people contact me. So. You have some beautiful colors here. Thank you. I don't see violet pottery very no. often. Is that difficult? Yeah, I actually have to use the black base and then put what they call smoky Merlot. So okay. it's more of a red purple by itself over the black to get that color. Smoky Merlot. That's Just like the wine. Yes, I know. So, that sounds so, like And it's kind of that color okay. by itself. So. Oh, it really? How many do you yeah. have in this? It's beautiful. It looks like everybody is really enjoying looking yeah. i bet you sold a few pieces yeah, and more we've done, today we did okay so good, good. Good. i can say it's a good thing my wife is not here <laughs> awesome yes he's very tempting so how long are you here tonight we'll be here until six and then tomorrow nine to six okay all right well Sounds good, and we'll see you maybe at breakfast tomorrow okay. again. Sounds good. So Steve and Linda here. This is Friday night, and we're now shopping. Yay! Or browsing. All kinds of good stuff here, Steve. Yeah, look at those boots, Linda. I love them. These are really good. Yeah, they're beautiful. Some metal work. Where are you guys from? Bozeman. Oh, Bozeman? Okay. okay. I, have, I have some friends in Bozeman. Yeah. Beautiful place. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. All right, well, thank you guys. Beautiful work. Thank you. It's all custom done, all hand, hand drawn. Wow. It's amazing. Thank you. Steve, look over there. We have to go over there. Look at the pottery. Oh yeah, look at the little, just the little pieces. They're beautiful, huh? Oh, it's beadwork. Oh, beadwork. It's beautiful. Hi. Hi there. Hi, how are you? Good. We're with the Art Box Podcast. What? 
we're, we do a podcast for the Virgin Valley Artists Association, and we're walking around shopping right now, so we just want to take pictures of some well, of the artists thank, and their work. And thank you. I, res- I really appreciate you saying that, because, as you know, people randomly will come up and take pictures, and I always say, may I ask why you're taking this picture? And a lot of it is, oh, I just want to show my husband for Christmas. And then others are like, they go home and duplicate the... Oh, oh so, I no. couldn't do so this. So I very yeah. much respect just asking. Party on. Yeah, you want to tell us? Want to tell us a little bit about yourself and give us your web address and things sure. like that? Yeah, um, I'm Kathleen Brannon. Uh, Desert Sage Beat Art is is my business. I'm out of Northern Nevada, and I pretty much show at rodeos. Uh, I do this show because it's profound with the, you know, the, the authentic, original Western lifestyle. Yeah, it's, it's just wonderful. That's what I do. Where did you learn how to do all your beats? I was raised in Arizona. I was raised in northern Arizona and not far from the Navajo Reservation. And so I, it was kind of an inspiration, you know, although I'm, I'm not Navajo, I'm not Native. Uh, I just loved the... The art form was terrific, and I started. I just started doing it like a young girl, and evolved. You know, like much in life. You know, one door opens, and then another one, and before I knew it, um, I was having a really good life. So I'm very fortunate. As an artist, I knew as a young artist I wanted to earn a living by my from my. And if, if you're doing that, there's not many of you. It's very difficult. Yeah. Um, I know profound artisans, but they have a pretentiousness, an insecurity, uh, sometimes an elite attitude. Like, you know, oh, I can't get that kind of money, or they're afraid. And I just knew that I wanted to earn a living at it. And so, if anything, learning business was the hardest thing for me. Okay. I didn't know anything about business. You know, I took classes. How many years have you been creating uh, and selling your work? Yeah. I started selling my work. Oh my gosh, look at her ring. I was going to mention her ring. <laughs> Sorry, I interrupted you. That's no, so No, that's striking. okay. Um, I go, yeah, I don't know. Uh, oh, yeah. I started how many years? I don't know. Um, probably 25, 30 years that I was confident enough to earn, that I could earn. Up until that time, I worked probably two jobs. Just to I don't know any artists. But for everything that's good in life, there's a compromise somewhere along the line. Yeah. And what changed my life was because I'm very reclusive. When, when the internet came out, I got a computer. Then when I realized it was WWW worldwide, it shifted my entire. I realized I could I built a website. You know? And I was fortunate. Cowboys and Indians magazine found me within six, seven months. And the rest is history. The other thing as an artist, you have to know where where your client base is. You know, if you, yeah, and that's that's part of the process of being successful. You know, and I was fortunate. The Western the Western world was home for me, and because of all the, if you live in the West, raised in the West. You've all, everyone is familiar with beating. Indian Reservation down the road, your grandmother beating. It's, yeah, so um, it was part of the Western lifestyle, and I knew, I, 
I followed it. I, I followed where the Western people hung out. And it was like NFR and Pendleton and, you know, all the high-end rooms. And it worked. Would you like to tell us your website? Sure. www.desertsagebeatart.com And what's your name? My name is Kathleen Brannon. And, you know, if you... If you found my website and order from this interview, I'll work with you. I'll give you a discount. Okay. Oh. Hey, well, there we are, listeners. Yeah, there we are. You know, I'll do 20, 20% probably. So. You know, just get a hold of me. But go to the website. It's very self, very easy to maneuver, very self-explanatory. And I'm very accessible. All you have to, I answer my texts and emails within five minutes. Thank you for talking with us. I appreciate the opportunity. Thank you very much. Yeah. And best to you. Yeah, boy. We, we could probably uh, do podcasts just around here. Huh? Well, we're already 16 minutes into our shopping spree here. And I haven't bought anything yet. Look, no, you haven't bought anything. These are fantastic. I'll be right back. All right. Should I follow you to get oohs and ahs? Nothing here has a price, Steve. Even her jewelry didn't have a price. What is that? Oh, mean? her jewelry didn't have a price? Nothing has a price. Oh. My husband always said if there's a if something doesn't have a price, you can't afford it. <laughs> but it's some beautiful work. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Okay, what are we going now to the food court? Uh, the food smells delicious. I might be able to afford one of these scarves. <laughs> Is that right? The $1,700 hat was no straw. How much was that hat? $1,700. I was just telling my part, co-host partner here that if things aren't marked with prices, they're usually too expensive. They're the straw, yeah. So, yeah, I love those cowboy boots, but none of them are marked. <laughs> yeah, they're probably $1,000 or so. Anyway. Oh, there's something with the price. No, it doesn't have a price. Oh, it has a size. Yes. Shall we turn around and go the other way here? Sure, let's do that. Fortunately or unfortunately, we left the shopping area empty-handed. Headed back to the press room, we ran into our friend from the last few days, radio personality, Larry, I want to go to uh, I want to go to the wave someday. Oh, got into the wave. And I want to go to uh, the. Uh, um, I'll think about this. You want to go to Goldview National Monument? Which? Right in Mesquite, Goldview National Gold Monument. View? That's our home. Okay. Hey, so here we are. We're in the press room, and press is here because we have a, a DJ here. What's your name? A real live DJ, yeah. Uh -huh. My name is Larry Hilbert. It's a community radio station, which means we have the privilege of playing whatever we like. Yeah. We don't have a playlist. We don't have an algorithm. We don't come from a satellite. Actually, we do because we're worldwide. Oh, are you? Okay. But we're just a small station that has to raise all our own money. And Where can we find you worldwide? Uh, KVMR.org. Our and listeners will be on it. KVMR.org. There's about 500 people listen to my show on Saturday morning yeah. on, on the net, but I don't know where they are. 
Sometimes they call, but because it's a small station, we're very well known. When I come into the building at seven o'clock Saturday morning, there's nobody there. And so I set up and I do all my own engineering and it's like just me and the audience. And I've learned that the audience, uh, virtually everybody is alone. And so I developed this style where I just talk to them like they're in their kitchen or in their car, which they are. So I'm just one person, me and me and whoever that hey, is. Fantastic. What are you talking about? Uh, mostly I play music. Okay. But I tell stories. You okay. know, I've had a lot of pretty good adventures, so I tell stories and the stories change over time. Yeah. Can they be embellished? All stories are embellished. <laughs> what is that? I'm trying to think of this cowboy singer says, uh, he starts out by saying, I don't know if these stories are true, but they happen to me. <laughs> but I, I don't think of it quite that way. I, um, I'm pretty much truthful and the best stories are true. I, I envy you. I remember the first time I came here, if this is your first. This is our first. You just, the culture is amazing. The artists are approachable. People appreciate what's happening. They, uh, they're quiet when people perform, so they respect the performers. And they're, they'll do anything from make you laugh to make you cry and anything in between and they have the you know jokes without the f word and and uh, good cowboy music you will you will enjoy every minute of it yeah thank so, you and you you know so, most of the time since i grew up i wanted to be charles corral now i want to be a folklorist okay and he and some cowboys started this thing yeah. and dreamed it up and found the people and culture itself grew people that only told poems around the campfire practiced and got better and wrote their own and it just became this amazing cultural event yeah, and we're here because we have we have several cowboy poets in our town, and he's performing so here. I think he's I think he's just doing an open mic. Which one his is name is Russ Westwood. I don't know him, but I'm going to make it a point to. Yeah, he's you know he's well known in our town. In our in our town, he's a he's a hero. He, he, he's very good. He has his voice is melodic even when he just talks to you. Yeah, there's. I like when they do, I don't know what you would call it, a round robin, I guess, where they'll mix together a couple of musicians and a couple of poets, and they have them in rooms like this, and they just rotate. And you can't get in the door except when there's applause. Okay. So it's respecting. Oh, that's good, yeah. And these rooms all fill up, and you can just go in one and, and see what happens, and I, I was just telling her when when my wife takes a trip in her forerunner, she doesn't look at the map till she comes home, and so I've I've learned from her uh, because trying to use that program and, and plan, it, it's a three-dimensional chess game. You know, you're almost better off just to see what you stumble into. So, how many years have you come to this? event probably probably over 20 years i've probably come a dozen times really and what 
what brought you here the first time? I, a friend of mine, another broadcaster at my radio station, was going, and he said, he was telling me, but it's too late. Mm -hmm. The whole town is full, you can't get a room, all the shows are booked. And so I thought, well, I'm, I'm going anyway. Mm -hmm. And I came into town and I drove up to the Holiday Inn and I said, do you have any rooms? And they said, yeah, we just had a cancellation. And then I came and discovered the bulletin board out in the front where people are selling tickets. And I didn't know most of the performers, so I... In fact, I remember the first event was Michael Martin Murphy and Waddy Mitchell and somebody else in the symphony orchestra. And he had a ticket. He said, there's no way you can get a ticket. So I went up to the, to the line there and I got in front. And when I got to the front, I said, can I buy a ticket tonight? She said, oh, they've been sold but out I'm for six months. That, uh, the, and the woman um, alongside me said, I have one. And I said, what do you want for it? She said, $30, does that sound fair? Yeah. Sure. Well, so yeah. my friend and I are waiting outside well, to finally get in. And you have to show your ticket to, so because the you, doors are welcome. on the side. Yeah. And anyway, uh, he you said, what's your role? That I said, it's row C. So I'm in the third row right in the middle. And he is way up in the back. I never let him lay it down. But it's uh, could have turned out the other way. And you would have enjoyed either one. I would have. Because and you will as well. And when it comes to be Sunday morning, or maybe even Saturday night, think to yourself. If you can come check in with me each day, I have a list of shows. I am keeping up with good. this on which shows are sold out. Yeah, I am yeah. keeping yeah, up with we're really looking forward to, to come see yeah, We have a, a really good opportunity. Uh, some Tony of them are exceptional. Some of the really exceptional people are too this time. It doesn't matter. Um, well, we just saw we just saw a family from Yarrington. Um, four of the kids played. We were over at the, over at the other, other venue. They were great. And then people that wouldn't let them off the stage, and they kind of ran out of music, so they played one of the same songs over again. It was great. <laughs> wow. Yeah, that's impressive. I know that. Uh, put yourself out there, something's going to happen. And I know I I love doing radio, and I tell stories, but they're usually related to a song, and I don't do it that often. I typically just play music. I did. There are a few little. I'm on a panel of broadcasters. We teach a new class every year, and I always make sure I'm the last one on the panel. Since I'm here at the end of it, is that thing on? Yeah. Well, I have to be careful. You don't have to be careful. I edited it. So, so tomorrow uh, at 9 o'clock, I tell them, okay, now, this is really important. Yeah, I mean, you like can this. tell me now, because too, it will happen to you. As that develops, you tell them you're on mic. Oh, I've done everything from something that you were going to say. Show. I don't have a large and it was important, and it mattered, and in the moment, you just... Group can't come up with it. And you're trying so and trying. My purchasing ticket. And what you need to do is play the f***ing music. There you go. So you have an out. Yeah, they remember that. Right? That was just our Wednesday night interview with Larry. Now we're back for our Friday night interview. Off we go. In the headphones. Okay, so here we are. Um, Friday night. 
lot of background noise. That's fine. Yeah, it's okay with me. Yeah. Yeah, here we are Friday night, and we have our friend Larry. I forget your last name, Larry. Yeah, it's Hilberg, H-I-L-L-B-E-R-G. That's right, Larry Hilberg. Hi, Larry. Hi, how are you? Do you know that uh, almost every Larry you meet is over 50 years old? We're, we're like redheads. We're a disappearing breed. Like Linda's. Yeah. <laughs> like Steve's. Yeah. Everything There's a lot of Steve's changed. my age because of Steve Allen. Yeah, you'll remember Steve Allen. I do. Yeah, he was great. He was ahead of his time. Yes, he was. I was watching a thing on him the other day in The Tonight Show. or It was The Tonight Show before. They had a thing where they superimposed him on people's shoulders out on the street. How'd they do that then? I don't know. But they did. Okay, I'm sorry. I started talking about me again. No, it's good. It's good. So Larry's told us he has a couple of good stories for us, Steve. I'll leave you be the judge of that. But uh, we'll let the listeners be judged. They, you can vote. <laughs> <laughs> you can turn it off. Right? No. <laughs> so uh, in the year 2000, I decided I wanted to walk to my 40th high school reunion. And that was up in Michigan on Lake Superior. And I wanted to walk 2,000 miles. So I started in Albuquerque, New Mexico. And I set out with a backpack and everything I needed to sleep in a tent. And and also had a credit card, which was convenient. And it meant I was free from work, free from chores, free from errands. And I walked about 125 miles a week. And I had many, many adventures. And one of them took place in Central City, Nebraska. I walked into town and I saw a motel. And by then, I looked like a hobo. Dirty, scruffy, worn equipment, raggedy beard. And I walked in and I asked, how much is the room here? And she said, well, it's $32. And I'm thinking to myself, that's cheap. But she said, but you can put your tent up on the grass behind the motel and we'll give you free breakfast in the morning. Oh, how nice. So I did that. Uh-oh. You know what that was? That was a verbal nod. <laughs> ah, you're I'm the, sorry. Back to the... You're the editor. No, it's okay. Conversations are good. So I pitched my tent, and I started walking downtown. And it was a typical Midwestern town. Huge trees, sidewalks. Remember sidewalks? Front porches. Remember front porches? And it was in the early evening, and people were sitting out in the front porch, and talking back and forth with their neighbors and they were calling out to me hello hello and I'm waving back and it just felt good and I was on the Lincoln Highway which also goes through the town I live in now Colfax California so I felt a little connected to home and as I walked into downtown I saw a restaurant called the Lincoln Manor and this is a small town by the way everybody knows everybody and I walked into the restaurant, and I never sat at a table in a situation like that. I always sat at a bar because I, I would otherwise feel alone. And the bartender says, you're not from around here, are you? I said, no, I'm, I'm walking across America. No kidding. And he bought me a beer, and I was telling him stories of my journey. And the guy on my right, his name was Lonnie. And Lonnie was a tall wannabe cowboy. He'd have been called an urban cowboy if it was an urban area, but it was just a small town. 
and Lonnie had a western shirt, a string tie, a huge belt buckle on his wide belt, and Levi's and cowboy boots. And he was completely uninterested in me, and I'm just chatting with the bartender. And what I did notice about Lonnie was two things. One was if there had been a mirror behind the bar, no one could have come between Lonnie and the mirror. <laughs> and the other thing was that every time a female walked into the room, Lonnie would sit up a little taller and look him over. And his interests were pretty clear. Well, after a while, um, a couple of women in their 40s, attractive women wearing business attire came in and they sat alongside me on the other side from Lonnie and he was irritated. And the bartender told the women that this guy's walking across America and they bought me a beer and now I'm telling more stories and Lonnie is anxious to get a word in, but he can't. Well, eventually our food came and we started to eat and Lonnie leaned across in front of me and he said to the two women, Hi, my name's Lonnie, what's yours? And the woman next to me said, well, I'm Jenny, and the other friend of mine is Susan. And Lonnie thought for a moment, he said, uh, hi, my, my last name is Smith. What are your last names? And the lady alongside of me said, uh, well, I'm Jenny Roback. The other woman didn't say anything. And Lonnie said, where are you from? She said, we're from Columbus, Nebraska, just up the road a little ways. And Lonnie's thinking, and he's seeking a connection. And he said, oh, there's a senator from Columbus by the name of Roback. Are you related to him? And she said, well, somewhat. And he got kind of a smug look on his face. And just then, he took the opportunity to go to the bathroom because they were eating. And I turned to the woman and I said, you're the senator, aren't you? And she said, yes. <laughs> so That's great. <laughs> whether or not Lounge Lizard Lonnie made an impression was no longer in doubt. <laughs> yes. Oh, that's a great story. Thank you for sharing. That's a true story. Oh. Lounge Lizard Larry. No, Lonnie. Lounge Lizard Lonnie. Lounge Lizard Lonnie. And I, we I have to say those three words real quick. The bartender and the two women and I laughed, and he could hear the end of the laughter when he came out of the men's room, but his time to make an impression was past. <laughs> you got great. another so story you have for another us. another one, huh? I do. I have another one that I told here the last time I was here three years ago, and it was a competition to see who could go on the main stage. And I actually thought I had a chance to win because it, it's a decent story and I told it well. And it turned out that the guy after me was way beyond my ability and I knew I wasn't going on the main stage, but I was still satisfied about the story. Well, we want to hear that one too, don't we, Steve? Yes, we do. I need to cheat just a little bit on this one. Okay. Well, some of the greatest poets here have used a piece of paper to tell their poets. There's some oh, I, I need to. 
and this story I think also is probably five or six minutes. That one was a little shorter. So on this same walk, I finally reached the Upper Peninsula of Michigan and I arrived at the town where I was born, Marquette. And the closer- Oh, you did have a walk. 2,000 miles. Yes. And the closer I got, the more ghosts would appear. And the ghosts were my friends and my family and stories long, long forgotten. I am a second generation American. Uh, all four of my grandparents came from Europe around the year 1900, give or take a few. They were all single and they all came alone. My Finn grandfather came from Finland and he went via Montreal and he arrived in Michigan's Upper Peninsula uh, having escaped the Russian army draft by going to Canada. This is something my, young wing, uh, my younger right-wing brothers don't like to hear. And he arrived undocumented into Upper Michigan. And the other three came through Ellis Island. And what that meant was you arrived alone you spoke your second language, although they usually had an interpreter, and you would arrive in New York. And if you were in first or second class, you just walked into the country and you were here. If you came otherwise, like all three of my other grandparents, they were put on a smaller ship and taken to Ellis Island. And from there, they could see the Statue of Liberty. They knew what it meant but they were occupied. The first thing was a medical examination and you could fail. Somewhere around 2% of the people that arrived here of millions were sent back to their ship. And so they would be given an, uh, an examination and the doctor would write in chalk on their clothes something that they had no idea what it was or what it meant. And the doctor would watch them walk up the stairs to the second examination. And that was a verbal examination. Usually they had an interpreter if needed. And you are asked questions like, are you a communist? Are you an anarchist? Have you ever been in prison or in a rest home? Or are you physically ill? Um, and three questions among them were kind of sh uh, separated out to give uh, no preparation or no real time for thought to the people answering the questions and you could be sent home from them and one of them was how much money did you bring and do you have a profession and do you have a job and they all passed and they would walk down the stairs they could exchange their money they got another boat ride back to the mainland and they were given a meal and they got their baggage back and they were free. And all three of them went to Upper Michigan. None of them again knew each other. This is at very young times. Um, my Finnish grandfather became a, a woods worker. He worked out in the woods, ultimately got a job for the railroad. And at home in Finland, he had been a carpenter, one of those that builds things with planes and hangs doors and, and all of that, very skilled. but. He didn't get the chance to do that. 
My Finn grandmother was what we would call today an au pair. She was basically a maid. My Swedish grandmother also became a maid. Um, she ultimately became the head of staff for a United States Supreme Court judge that had a summer home in Michigan. And my Swedish grandfather uh, became part of a, several brothers that homesteaded a farm. And they all worked hard. And my father was the third born of four in the Finn family. My mother was the second born of three in a Swedish family. And they met each other and they got married out at the farm. And what my father told me in Michigan at the time, a Finn and a Swede was a mixed marriage. And that was serious. So lucky for me that all that happened. Well, fast forward now, I've gone to Marquette and some of the memories that came back to me, one of them was my Finn grandmother. When my mother died, I was 15. I had three younger brothers and sisters and she came to live with us because my dad still had to work. And all I remember of her is work. She always had her head down. She was very quiet, very stoic spoke rarely, just worked all the time. And one time I was coming home with a friend of mine who had a car to pick up something. And she said, Larry, your friend Jim has a car. Can you guys go buy a loaf of rye bread? And I said, sure. So she gave me a dollar and we went to the store and I bought a loaf of bread for about 29 cents probably. And and I brought it back and I gave it to her and she said, where's the change? And I'm 15 years old, smart ass teenager. I said, oh, it's dollar day, grandma. Everything's a dollar today. And she just looked at me and I got, I can't describe the look, but I can still remember it. It was intent. She didn't say anything to me. She didn't frown. She didn't laugh. She showed no anger. And I left with my friend thinking I was gonna be in trouble with my dad. I asked him later about that indirectly. I said, Dad, remember that New Year's Day family reunion we had where we were all playing touch football in the snow? And, and I asked, was Uncle Leonard there? And he said, oh, I, I don't remember, Larry. He said, but your grandma would have. I said, what do you mean? He said, well, your grandmother was probably the most intelligent woman in Marquette and she had a photographic memory. And she could have said what they wore, when they came, who they were with, what food they brought. She remembered every word of every book that she ever read, what page it was on, and gave advice to all the immigrants in the community about citizenship, about money, about investing, about schooling. She was brilliant. And I said, Dad, I have to tell you this story. And I told him about the loaf of bread, and he said, well, she didn't tell me. And I said, I know that now, because I'd have been in serious trouble. So I walked past the family farm, the homestead. And I'm standing on a hillside now. I'm 58 years old. And I'm looking at where the farm had been. And I saw crumbling fences. and apple trees planted all over the fields by deer that had eaten the orchard trees. The lilac trees where my parents were married 
The only thing left of the home was a foundation. All the outbuildings were gone. And I was remembering things. And I saw the hint of a road that went up the hill toward where their milk shed was. And what was there now was this big, boxy French colonial house that should have been in South Georgia on a plantation. It just simply didn't belong. But a memory came back to me. And it was probably from about 50 years before. And my grandfather was waking me up. For some reason, I was staying with them, and my, my siblings were not. He said, Larry, you got to get up. We have an important job for you. And I said, what? He said, yeah, you got to get up now. We have an important job for you to do today. Well, that was new to me. And I went downstairs where my grandmother was taking a fresh baked loaf of bread out of a wood stove oven and frying bacon in a cast iron frying pan on the top of the wood stove. And I reached for bacon and she says, no, you, you can't eat. We have an important job for you. So we jumped in the car and went bumping up that pasture road toward the milk shed. And when we arrived, they parked by the fence and we got out of the car and my grandfather was taking milk cans and pails and metal stools out of the trunk and he called out, come boss, come boss. And he looked at me and he said, Larry, your job is to go circle those cows out there in the pasture and get them to come to the milk shed. I remember dew on the grass, wet feet. I remember steaming cow patties. And I remember fear, because the cows were so big and they had horns. And, but I circled the cows and they went to the milk shed. And my grandfather gave me a wave and I went running back down the pasture road to get a bacon sandwich. And fast forward again 50 years and I realized that the cows went to the milk shed every morning without me. <laughs> so I thought, thank you, Grandma and Grandpa. And I continued walking, and I walked about a mile to a little cemetery behind a church where I had never been. Both of them passed when I was in the military overseas, and I managed to find the graves. All they were was stones in the ground, they were not standing tall. And they were underneath this huge maple tree. And it was a June day, a beautiful day up there in Michigan. And, and I stood at what would be my grandmother's feet. And I said, thank you for all that you did for me and for even coming here alone and allowing me to exist. And I said, I still remember asking you what was in your beans, your baked beans that came out of mason jars, because I loved them. And she said, well, there was salt pork, and there was brown sugar, and there was beans, and there was onions. And I told her, I didn't like onions. And then she said, and love. And just then, a breeze came from Lake Superior, about 10 miles away, and it brushed some leaves from one of the branches on that tree across my cheek. And I stepped back. I thought, wow, what just happened? And I thought, well, it's a nice summer day. That's just a breeze off Lake Superior. And I stepped over, 
And I spoke to my grandfather, and I reminded him about my important job, and I reminded him of another time when he in the spring would cut down a bunch of small hardwood trees, and they would lay there all summer. And in the fall, he would drag them down to the milk shed with his tractor, and he would saw them up, and if they needed splitting, he would split it. And he assigned me to remove all the wood that was still in the woodshed from before. And uh, they heated their home, heated their hot water, and cooked with this wood stove. And he said, remove all that wood and then start putting the new wood in the woodshed. So I got all the wood out and I'm putting the new wood in and in the meantime he's splitting and sawing and, and he caught up with me of course and, and we together put all the rest of the wood back in the woodshed and then put the oldest wood on top. And we're sitting on a frame that stuck out the back end of his cha uh, tractor that had a trailer hitch on it and one of us on each side and I'm thinking to myself that there's nothing more satisfying than a big stack or a woodshed full of split wood. And I said, Grandpa, how come you always have wood left over? And he was a man of few words, surprising, given me. He said, well, because we can't run out. And even at eight years old or so, I understood that. And then I asked him, and looking at him, I said, Grandpa, you have hair growing out of your ears. He said, that's wisdom, Larry. <laughs> and another breeze came up and blew another branch across my other cheek. And this time, I literally jumped back. And I thought to myself, what was that? And I told myself, this 58-year-old mature man that worked in computers for his whole career, that's just a couple of branches getting blown by a couple of breezes from Lake Superior. Or was it? Or was it? Wow, that was great. Thank yeah. you, Larry. You're a great storyteller. Uh, yeah, I forgot to read this part. And, and that didn't win? No. No. Do you want to read that? I'm Steve, just gonna, is, this Steve was can in the do middle his magic. Of it. Okay. okay. So from Ellis Island, my grandparents, those young single people, all three of them, could look across at the Statue of Liberty. And there's a plaque there, not on the statue itself, but a plaque. And on that plaque, among other words, these words are written. Keep ancient lands, your storied pomp, cries she with silent lips. Give me your tired, your poor, your huddled masses yearning to breathe free. The wretched refuse of your teeming shore. Send these, the homeless, tempest-tossed to me. I lift my lamp beside the golden door. That's from the Colossus by Emily, no, Emma Lazarus. Emma Lazarus. But mostly I just play music, but story is very powerful on radio. 
and some stories in particular. And I, th I took a little longer on that one than I intended to, so I apologize if I, if I kept you. Please don't apologize. They both were really good. Yeah, and they're both true. Those branches, I will never forget those moments. Every time I even talk of it, um, I, I can feel it and how I felt at that time. And I know there's a song now by a country singer that, you know, not mainstream, and it's called Everywhere Now. The song Everywhere Now by Willie T. Taylor that Larry mentions, we will add to the end, so please stick around for an extra bonus. Thank you, Larry. And that's his belief on what happens to us when we pass. We're everywhere. So after all, my grandparents were everywhere and free to make those, those leaves move or not. I, I still wonder about that. Supernatural things don't happen, not really. Um, although for the first time in my life, maybe about a week ago, I told my wife about this, something woke me up in the first half hour of sleep. And I think it was our dog, but I'm not sure. It's hard to wake us during that time. And I'm laying on my back on the bed and I open my eyes and I can see a face up near the ceiling. And it's a kind of a grayish, blackish, whitish, a brownish face of an older woman. And I don't know whose face it was and I don't know what it was doing there. And there was no body attached and it slowly just faded out. I don't know if that's just our brains. I don't know what, what they do when we wake up like that or when we're dreaming, but I'm, I'm still trying to figure out whose face that was. It's a face that I don't remember knowing. Um, anyway, things happen, right? Things do happen. Things happen that we can't explain. They do. Hey, thanks for your time. I hope I didn't keep you. Oh. oh, this was great. I hope you can still get into your show. 609, you can... Oh. Okay, Linda, we're wrapping up Friday. This is our last day. You're yawning? <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's been a fun week. We've put in a lot of hours each day, much more than we expected to do. Right now, it's after 6.15. We, st we still haven't had dinner. We, we still have more work to do. But we had, we had, we had really night. good grilled cheeses in your car. In my car. On the way to the other <laughs> venue. We've interviewed some amazing people this week. We've learned uh, so much more about Cowboy Poetry Gathering, the 38th national one in particular. We've gone into a little bit deeper level. We've, I feel like we've just scratched the surface. We're learning so much more about this fantastic celebration of life in the West. And everybody's got a story and everybody's got a heart. I'm not sure there wasn't one interview here that wasn't from the heart. People talked about their art, challenges, one of our artists talked about her 
struggle with depression that she had yes. in the past. There were tears today. Henry Realbird talked about the loss of much of his family during COVID. And we found out that some of our other guests had lost family members as well during COVID. It was especially hard on the Native American. Besides our guest, uh -huh. we also, and you know, you've already, if you're listening to this now, you've already heard our guest for the day. Um, we also talked with some of the volunteers and it's, it's hard to catch the volunteers because they're all, they're short staffed and they're busy, but we had a good, a, a good talk today, albeit short with Pat and Meg who are loggers. Yes. Okay. And if you've heard that, you already kind of know what a logger does and it's very important. Yes. And, and then we went, we went shopping. Shopping. Okay. Yes. Yeah. And of that course that's of where, fun. that's where we both found out that there wasn't much there and there was quality stuff, right? Oh, fantastic. boots, hats. Would we hear one hat went for like 1700 bucks, right? Something, um, we, you've already heard. Um, we talked to a lady who does beadwork. We saw some incredible talent today, Steve. Some of the shows we saw some of the young talent here as well. So we got a real feel for what's offered at this cowboy national cowboy poetry gathering. Yeah, and we'd stay another day, except it's going to snow tomorrow. <laughs> it is. So we're going to hurry back to Mesquite, where we can look at the snow on the mountains. There you go. We're going to turn the Linda Adventure Mobile south Correct. tomorrow morning, sometime after breakfast. And we also had a good breakfast interview. Oh, we did. Yes. We had some fantastic. Yeah. Linda's idea that we interview people at breakfast, at breakfast. And, of course, you heard that. If you're listening to this, you've already heard it. His eggs got cold while we talked to him, but he very graciously talked to us. It's been an incredible adventure, Steve. It really has. Can you make, we did this. Can we fight? We did it, yes. and we got along. No fights, no. Well, you and I fighting? <laughs> I, don't, I don't think so. It's been great, and I'd like to thank my husband and your wife for their support, for us being away from them this week been fun we miss them we're anxious to get home signing off from elko thanks for listening bye bye steve and i and the virgin valley artists association and the art box podcast would like to thank our sponsors nevada humanities and national endowment for the humanities who made this week possible for us thank you very much and now linda and i are going to pretend that we're cowboy poets and we've each picked up a poem and that we'll recite to you. This is a poem by one of my favorite cowboy poets who is actually deceased now. His name is Baxter Black. Cowboy is his name. There's a hundred years of history and a hundred before that. All gathered in the thinking going on beneath this hat. The cold flame burns within him till his skin's as cold as ice, and the dues he's paid to get here are worth every sacrifice. All the miles spend sleepily driving, all the money down the drain, all the if-eyes and nearlies, all the bandages and pain, all the female tears left drying, all the fever in the fight, are just a small down payment on the ride he makes tonight. It's guts and love and glory, one mortal's chance at fame. His legacy is rodeo, and cowboy is his name. Baxter Black. Great.
Mine is going to be, it's called Crazy Cat, and it's from A Gathering of Voices. It's poems and stories from the Wyoming Retirement Center. Crazy Cat. A cat has nine lives, so they love to kick butt with their moves. Felix, Garfield, or Sylvester, it doesn't matter. Just call one Kung Fu Kitty and watch him become a Halloween cat flying through the air right at you. That's Thank great, you. Steve. So that's our poetry. That's what we learned. We're now skilled poets. <laughs> As promised, Willie T. Taylor with Everywhere Now. Cause I'm everywhere now 
Broadcasting from Mesquite, Nevada, in the scenic Mojave Desert, the Art Box sponsors thank you for listening. To find our next and past podcasts, find us online at mesquitefineartcenter.com, where all accompanying images and links are available on the Art Box page. Questions, comments, opinions, and concerns can be sent to artboxvv at gmail.com. The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are solely those of its hosts and guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and opinions of the Virgin Valley Artists Association.